Good morning. Welcome to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. We're so glad you decided to join us for worship this morning here in our church, as well as those who are listening on the radio. Welcome. We have several announcements for you today. If you'd like to check out your bulletin, there's also more in there. I encourage you to read on your own time as well. Uh, we will have a short congregational meeting after the service today to accept nominations for officers of the consistory uh, following the service here at 9 a.m. So I encourage you, if you're a member of the church, to remain here. Um, it'll be a brief meeting uh, uh, following the service. Uh, Sunday school does resume or is on today. In addition to that, confirmation and senior high youth Bible study also resume today after their Christmas break. Uh, so we have a full full slate of classes uh, going on at uh, First Church today. Uh, we will be taking down Christmas decorations after the congregational meeting. If you are able and available to help out, we encourage you to do that. Uh, we have the Christmas trees and other decorations around the church that we will be putting away uh, this morning. So if you're able to stick around and help out with that, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, this afternoon, everyone is also invited to come back between 1 and 3 p.m. for an open house 90th birthday celebration for Joanne Feldwish in the Ministry Center. See, Joanne, you got some family surrounding you this morning. It's so good to have you all here, and, and happy birthday, and hope you all are able to stop by and, and celebrate that with them this afternoon. Uh, next Sunday, January 13th, Shannon Rediger will be here to share briefly during the church service about her recent uh, missionary trip to India as well as a presentation after church in the ministry center for some more information. I do, uh, I'm so excited to hear how things went, and I do encourage you to stick around next Sunday after church to hear in more detail about her experience in India over the last few months. At this time, I want to invite Jake Bredigan to come forward to talk about a new Sunday school class that will be starting here at the end of the month. Thank you. Good morning. Um, today is the last day that the sign-up sheet will be back at the Information Center uh, for the Jesus Among Secular Gods Bible Study starting on January 27th. It will last, again, it will last 11 weeks. will end right before Palm Sunday. And um, I just want to encourage anyone that has any chance of coming at all, please sign up, get a book, you'll have... All of that information contained in one little booklet. Jot all your ideas down. We have an extra set of DVDs if you fall behind or if you miss a week and you need to catch up. Uh, I don't want anyone not getting a book to stop them from coming. So please, if there's any possibility of you guys attending, sign up. Thank you. All right, thanks, Jake. Once again, that'll be a, a Sunday school class during the 9 a.m. hour, and that class will meet over in the the ministry center in the youth room. Uh, so we encourage you to get involved in that as well. Um, also, just the, this will be the last day if you want to get the book ahead of time. Of course, if, if for some reason you don't get a chance to sign up today and you still want to join the class, you are welcome to do so. You just won't have the book available at the start of the class. So uh, please, if you're interested, get signed up today so you can get the book in your hand before the class begins. Um, this time, I would invite you to stand and join us uh, for our call to worship if you're able to do so. Uh, it is from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 12. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us like our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I invite you to remain standing and sing with us number 145, O Come All Ye Faithful.
this time I invite those children who are coming up for children's chat to come at this time with Miss Maria. And I invite you also to greet your neighbors. Good morning. Wow. Now I know there are only two, four, six. Oh, there's number nine. Let's try this one more time. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So we started talking about something pretty important last week, and there are ten of them. What do we call them? The Ten Commandments. Let's do a little a little Bible trivia and see how much we remember. Okay? Who gave us the Ten Commandments? Okay. Who gave them to Moses? God did, right? God gave them to Moses. Here is a trick question. Well, it's not a trick question, but we'll see if, how much you remember. Where was Moses when God gave him the Ten Commandments? On top of a mountain. You're right. Does anybody remember what that mountain's called? No. Mount Sinai. Okay. So, God called Moses up the mountain, right? How many days was he there? Forty. Forty days and forty nights. And the people were down below. Okay? And and I brought my children's Bible along because I want to pick up kind of in the middle of our story here. Um, so God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Okay? Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and the people started to worry and be afraid. They needed something to make them feel safe. Aaron told the people to give him the gold earrings they had taken out of Egypt, and he melted them down, and he made them into the image of a small calf. Then he told them the golden calf was their God who had led them out of Egypt. Then Moses came down from the mountain And he was carrying two stone tablets with the laws written on them. The people were dancing around this golden calf. And when Moses saw this, he exploded in anger. The people were already breaking one of God's rules. What was it? Uh, um, The second commandment. Put no other gods before me. When they danced around that golden calf, when they made that golden calf, and they started worshiping that golden calf, that was breaking that second commandment. They made that golden calf more important than God. Now, do we have any golden calves in our life? No. No? Not Not you either, Benjamin? Good. Okay, now... That golden calf could be a lot of different things to us today. It could be money. It could be sports. It could be video games. There are lots of different things that could be that golden calf. It's not just a golden calf like like what you would see. It's lots of different things. And so we need to remember that. Okay, We already know there is how many gods? One. We already know that there is one God. So, does that mean we should let anything become more important than God? Nothing is more important than God. All right. Good job, guys. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the Ten Commandments. Thank you for giving us rules to live by. We know by following these rules, one day we will be in heaven with you. Help us to go out this week to share those rules and to obey those rules so other people can see how much we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, guys. Lost in our service in the last week. Fort Wainwright, Alaska. Sergeant Jordan Williams, 25, from Cambridge, Ohio. At Washington, D.C., Lance Corporal Riley S. Kuznia, 20, from Karlstad, Minnesota. Nashville, Tennessee, Staff Sergeant Jorge A. Hernandez, 26, 
from La Quinta, California, and in Michigan, Sergeant Tyrone Hassel III, 23, from Benton Harbor, Michigan. Thank you, Jay. If you're able, I invite you to once again stand with us and sing number four, How Great Thou Art.
be seated. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we are in awe of your, of your greatness this morning. We're in awe of your beauty and your majesty. Uh, Lord, we, as we worship you together with one voice, with one heart, with one mind, we, we, we lift up our praises to you and, and adore you for, for all that you have, all that you are and all that you have done for us. Uh, Lord, there's no way we could possibly, uh, just capture in one song or in one service all the, all the wonderful things that you've done. Um, Lord, we'd be here from now until forever, uh, just trying to recapture and, and recite all that you have done for us. And so, uh, Lord, we lift up our, our humble praises to you and, and glorify your name um, in, in all that you have done in and through us, uh, in and through this church, and, and, and especially, Lord, for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. It's by his death and his resurrection, Lord, that we see your love and your holiness and your goodness and your justice at work together, Lord, to, to redeem and save your people and to restore creation, Lord, um, to what, what you created it to be in the first place. And so, Lord, we thank you that through him we have that hope of eternal life and we have that redemption and forgiveness of our sins. And it's that that we, we praise you for and celebrate this morning. Lord, as we gather on this first Sunday of the new year, we also look forward to, to the year to come and ask that your spirit would guide us as a church, as individuals, uh, help us and equip us, Lord, to, to seek you out and to serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to love you, Lord, and, and understand your love for us in, in new and powerful ways. Um, and as we go about this year, I pray that you would you would lead us and guide us as a church. Um, help us to seek hard after you and follow where you lead us, Lord, and in doing all these things to bring honor and glory to you. Lord, we ask uh, that you would be with our, our uh, concerns that we have before us today. Uh, for those that are in need of healing, we pray, Lord, that you would heal them. We, for those who are in need of comfort and, uh, and strength, we ask for that as well. Uh, Lord, you know all things. You know what is going on in each of our hearts and minds in our lives. Uh, so, Lord, we ask that you would work in mighty and powerful ways. Uh, Lord, not according to our will, but according to yours. And, Lord, I pray that uh, all of us that are gathered here today, that are hearing uh, this service on the radio, uh, would be able to trust in your good and perfect will for our lives and, and trust, Lord, that even though we may not understand uh, or may not see, uh, Lord, you working, that you are there and that you promise in your word to never leave nor forsake your people. And so we thank you and praise you and hold on to that hope this morning. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. We have Nikki and Aaron Warbaugh providing special music for us this morning.
Lord, High King of Heaven, Thy treasure Thou art. High King of Heaven, my victory won. May I reach Heaven's joys, all bright Heaven's scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 6. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery and you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Maria, you may be seated. Father, once again, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather here as your people and uh, sing your praises, to lift up our prayers to you, and now to turn our attention to your word, uh, which you've given us so that we may know you and uh, serve you and love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I pray now as we take a look at it together this morning that you'd give us uh, insight into what it means for us and how we we relate to you and how we relate to others. And I uh, pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Remember when I was in youth group, uh, one of the, I belonged to a, a tradition called the Church of God based out of Anderson, Indiana. And every other year, the Church of God had an international youth conference. And I remember it was only for high school students. And so uh, as, I, as I began to attend church in middle school, I heard all these amazing, wonderful things about the IYC, as we called it. International Youth Convention of the Church of God. And so we, uh, as, as my high school years were approaching, the, the, the way the years fell, I was going into my freshman year of high school as the first time I was eligible to go on a trip like this. And it was in Denver, Colorado. And, and we gathered there at the convention center and, and, uh, I, it seemed like a lot of people. I have no idea how many were there. Uh, when you're a teenager more and from a small town, more than a couple hundred people is a lot of people. Um, but I think it was a few thousand of us gathered at this convention center and, and it was for four days and there was teaching. There was like workshops and, and, and twice a day there was this gathering of worship. Uh, of of kind of sermons and, and worship music that was performed in the morning and the evening, and I remember uh, the first year that we that I got to go to three of these during my course of uh, during my youth group years, and in that first year, the worship leader for our conference was Chris Tomlin. Uh, which is pretty amazing. Uh, if, you're, if you're familiar with his name, he's a very well-known worship artist and, and uh, very popular still to this day. And so uh, I remember going to this and just being blown away and amazed at the worship times that we had. Uh, several thousand teenagers all in one room praising God together, um, a, a world-famous musician <laughs> leading us in, in music and in singing. And, and it was just... it was. An amazing experience. Uh, 
And I remember uh, after the convention was over, going home and thinking, man, I just wish it could be like that every Sunday. I wish worship could be like that all of the time. I wish everyone could be there and experience that same uh, worship that I had um, at that conference. And as, as the years went on, you know, obviously that didn't happen. Chris Tomlin didn't show up at our church to lead worship for us every Sunday as much as I would have wanted him to. And other conventions had similar experiences. You go and, and have this amazing time of worship and then you come back and, and it was almost as if I was disappointed with the worship that, that I was experiencing at home on a regular basis because of that great, uh, experience I had at the convention. See, the, the, the problem now looking back on it that I realize is that, that it, wasn't the, it wasn't the worship that I was craving. It was that experience. It wasn't the, the time of, of focusing on the Lord and giving my heart to Him that it was all about. It was that, that experience of worship with those other people. And, and so often we try to recreate or recapture those experiences um, in other ways. Um, for many years, uh, churches went through what are sometimes called the worship wars, right? You have to worship a certain way. You have to produce a certain kind of experience for people for it to be truly worship. And if you don't do it a certain way, if you don't have the right instruments or sing the right songs or have the right uh, visuals up front, then it's not truly worship like it should be. And, and, and I, I'm being intentionally vague because that can go on on both sides of the spectrum, am I right? Uh, it can be, you know, hymns versus contemporary songs. It can be modern band and instruments versus the organ and the piano, right? There's, we, we struggle, and, and the struggle was uh, on both sides of the spectrum there. And the, and the, the core of the, the conflict wasn't over, I would say, worship itself. It was over the experience or the, the production of the worship experience. See, the, the whole problem with this conversation that, that I see is it's, it's not about the, who, the how or the what or the when of worship that really matters, but it's the, the who. Who are we worshiping and why are we worshiping Him? The object of our worship is more important than how we worship. And that object is, is God the Father. It's, it's Jesus Christ the Son. It's, it's through the Holy Spirit that He's given us. And when that is the focus, when that becomes our our vehicle of worship rather than the, the kind of worship that we have, um, we are then living out the second commandment here. The second commandment is a command to worship God on his terms and not our own. When we hold the style sacred and we hold the experience of worship sacred, we're missing the point. If the first commandment was all about worshiping the right God, then the second commandment is worshiping God the right way. There's a, a, a very peculiar, sto- peculiar story from Leviticus chapter 10. It's one of those that, that we often kind of maybe skim over because we're not quite sure what to do with. But uh, Leviticus and, and, and Numbers, uh, as well as a, a good portion of Exodus, uh, deal with a lot of the application of, of these Ten Commandments and the application of God's law. Leviticus in particular deals a lot with how God's people were instructed to worship, in particular giving of the offerings in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. And so the first uh, eight or nine chapters of Leviticus deal with how we are to, to present our offerings and present our sacrifices to God. And then, and then immediately after that is communicated and explained, uh, Aaron and his sons are anointed as, as the priests who are to carry out the, these acts of worship. And so... And so Aaron and his sons are anointed. They're, they're instructed on how to properly worship the Lord. And one of the first things that happens after this takes place, after all of the instructions have been given, was that Aaron's two sons uh, decide that they want to take matters into their own hands. And they take what the Bible describes as unauthorized fire and, and burn incense in the temple in a way that God had not instructed them to do. And, and as a result of that, God actually, His holiness actually consumed them and, and they died there on the spot as a result of their unauthorized worship or, or going about it in their own way. And it's a, it's a very, like I said, peculiar kind of strange story, but I believe that the message that God has for us in there is that, that, it, that, the, that He desires us to worship Him on His terms, not our own. He desires that we worship him in the way that he has given us, in the way that he has prescribed, and not creating our own ways to do so. And so the second commandment really is about, I would say, the right way to worship. 
says that we're not to make any graven images. We're not to not to uh, try to try to uh, put God in a box in a certain way and and worship Him on His terms. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I want to first talk about what does this commandment really prohibit? What is it? What is it saying? And how does that make sense in the context that was given? And then how we as as Christians here and today can can live that out as best we can. And so I think this. This commandment to, to not make any graven images of the Lord uh, has kind of two sides to it. First of all, we're not to create images of God. That seems to be pretty straightforward, right? We're not to create images and try to capture God uh, in a certain way. And the reason behind that is because an infinite God, an infinite creator of the universe, cannot be adequately uh, captured, cannot be adequately experienced uh, in a simple image, or with our sensor, our limited sensory perceptions. You know, think about who God is and, and who we're trying to describe in this way. The creator of everything, big and small. I mean, I, I had a, I have a science background and I, the thing that I always brought the most awe in my mind to God was, was the bigness and the vastness of the universe in the, in the very tiny, minute, uh, inner workings of, of, at a molecular level. The bigness and the, and the smallness of God. And, and, and scripture teaches us that he created it all and he sustains it all by his power. And so trying to, trying to, um, trying to portray God in a, in a limited way that we can draw on a piece of paper or create a statue out of, uh, it limits God and, and, and does, does him injustice, uh, because he is much greater than anything we could possibly create ourselves. It limits and restricts God to a certain place. You know, one of the convenient things about an idol was, and I, and I referenced this last week a little bit, but, but the convenient thing about an idol was when you didn't want to deal with them, you could stick them in a closet and forget about them, right? Out of sight, out of mind. And when we, when we use, when we create an image of God, when we use that as, a, as an instrument of worship, then we can, it, it's limited to a certain place, and we can be there or we cannot. But we know God is omnipresent, isn't he? He's everywhere at all times. Even the temple was, was meant to be a, it was, it was God's house, but it was meant to be a symbol of God's presence, but not the only place that God was located, right? It's not like God was present in the temple in nowhere else. It was just meant to be a symbol or a sign of his presence among his people. But he was in no way limited to that space. Since your God is a jealous God. And God's jealousy is not like our jealousy, because, excuse me, God's <clears throat> jealousy is righteous and pure because he does deserve our full attention. He does deserve it because he is infinitely glorious and infinitely magnificent. And anything that we do to try to capture that is not going to do him justice. It undermines his glory. I was thinking about how... <laughs> Uh, maybe some of you are like this as well, but, but we just did family photos yesterday and, and I, it got me thinking about times that we've tried to take pictures, maybe kind of on the fly or on the when we're out doing something, we take pictures of family. And one of the first things Allie always does is, right, she wants to see the picture, right? Any other people relate to that? She wants to see the picture so that she can uh, approve of it, that, that it's Facebook worthy, right? That it caught her in a good light or didn't, you know, capture her looking, you know, blinking or looking in a weird place, right? She wanted to approve it before it went out there for the world to see. And I can understand that, right? And I think this is kind of in a similar way. God doesn't want us to create images of him that are shortcoming, that are inadequate, inadequate, that don't truly portray his glory or his majesty like it should. Now, there have been a pretty amazing attempts at, at capturing God's glory, but no matter how great the artist, no matter how great the music, no matter how great the portrayal, it is still going to fall short because God is infinitely glorious. And this goes for, for images we can create physically, but I believe it also goes for images in our imaginations as well. We create images of God in our own thinking. We portray God a certain way in our thoughts, and, and we often maybe leave out certain parts of God that we don't like or we don't understand and so we just ignore those parts of God. We create a half God in our mind and, and we begin to, to worship that image that we've created for ourselves. We attribute human characteristics and flaws to God that he does not truly contain. For those of you who are familiar with 
you know, ancient mythology, Greeks and Romans had a whole pantheon of gods. And, and one of the common characteristics of those gods was that they shared human flaws and human characteristics. They got angry. They got, um, they, they, and to use Christian terminology, sinned in very much the same ways that humans sin. And you had to appease them. Worship was then meant to appease those gods and try to make them happy rather than worship in front of who they are. And so creating images of God limits him and, and, and it uh, doesn't adequately represent who he is. But the second commandment also prohibits us from worshiping the images themselves. You know, it's possible for us to grant certain spiritual powers or certain spiritual efficacy to, to items and objects that they should not have. God's people did that over and over again throughout Scripture. They granted things and objects the power to bring them closer to God or manipulate God in some way. Maria talked about the golden calf, right, that was created. Even as, God, even as Moses was meeting God up on Mount Sinai, the people down on uh, the base of the mountain got impatient and created a golden calf. And Aaron, the, the man who was to be high priest, stood before them and said, Here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. Almost the exact same words that God opens the Ten Commandments with. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They wanted something that they could see, that they could touch, that they could feel and experience for themselves instead of God in all his majesty. There's other examples in scripture as well. The bronze snake from Numbers chapter 21. God gave the people this bronze snake to heal them from the the snake bites they were experiencing in the wilderness as part of their judgment for complaining to God. And so he, he instructed them to create this bronze snake that they could look to and be healed. And generations later, we find this bronze snake located in the temple and the people are burning incense to it as an act of worship. We get uh, the Ark of the Covenant was used in 1 Samuel chapter 4 as to, to lead the people into battle uh, when God did not instruct them to do so. They thought if they could just carry this Ark of the Covenant out in front of them, uh, that, that they would automatically win because God's presence or God's Ark was there. And so they were using that object to manipulate God in some way. Obviously, that did not work out so well for them. The, ar- the ar- army was defeated and the Ark was captured by the enemy. You see, we often create man-made traditions, man-made images or objects that we think can bring us closer to God, but the truth is they can't. You know, they don't serve as our mediators because we don't need one. Now, I'm not saying all traditions are bad. Traditions can be very good. They can be very beneficial and, and help us, uh, help point us to Christ when used properly. But they can also distract us from our complete devotion to the Lord if we're not careful. When tradition becomes tradition for tradition's sake rather than how it can point us to Jesus. You see, we don't need anything like that to, to bring us closer to God because we already have the one mediator we need, and that's Jesus Christ. Right? His death, his resurrection, he is now the high priest who stands before, the God to, before God to always intercede for us, to bring us into God's presence. So we don't need anything else like an idol, like a golden calf, like an image to, to, to help us to worship God properly. Instead, we are called to worship God on his terms. And that's what I want to spend the last few minutes here talking about this morning. In order to, 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 to keep the second commandment, uh, there are several things that I think we, we are instructed to do in God's word. First of all, we need to embrace the whole character of God as represented in Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says that the Son is the image of the invisible God, right? He is, he is the, the perfect representation of God, And so we don't need an idol. We don't need a picture. We don't need anything else like that because we have Christ as he is revealed to us in his word. And so we need to embrace also the whole character of God. As I said before, we are often have the tendency to create God in our own image and, 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 and portray him only as part of his character. But we need, and when we worship God, we need to embrace both his love and his holiness, both his justice and his mercy. Because only, only looking at one side of the equation is going to give us a, will not give us a complete picture of who God is. And we can't truly appreciate His love if we don't also appreciate His holiness. We can't truly appreciate His mercy if we don't also understand His justice. They go hand in hand and both are necessary. 
In fact, we see the perfect representation, the perfect picture of God's character at the cross. His justice and his holiness as represented in the punishment of our sin, but also his love and his mercy in that he took that punishment upon himself in order that we may be forgiven. Worship is also a matter of the heart, and it's, it's about our relationship with the Lord, not simply what we do or how we do it. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 through 23, teaches us that true worship is, a, is about obedience rather than uh, the sacrifices and the offerings that we make. It's going to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. The prophet Samuel says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offering? Uh, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. He's speaking to Saul. And so true worship is about obedience to God's word, about living a life in line with his, his word and how he's revealed himself. And so true worship also encompasses our entire lives and is born out of a relationship with God. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, uh, uh, God is, is speaking through the prophet and he says, um, excuse me, let me pull it up here. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act, just, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's about that relationship and living out that relationship with the Lord. In John chapter 4, as Jesus is speaking to the woman on the well, he says that true worship is a matter of worshiping the, God, worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. Again, in spirit, it's about that connection we have with the Lord through our spirit, his spirit indwelling in us and our spirit calling out to him. It's a wholehearted commitment that, that comes from that connection we have with him, but it's also grounded in truth. We're people of the word. God has revealed himself to us and we can know God, not through images, not through anything like that, but through his word and how he's made himself known to us. And so we need to have, we need to be, uh, to center our worship in gospel centered teaching rather than an entertaining performance. Knowledge of God and who he is should drive us to worship. Now, that doesn't mean good music and, and good experiences like that can't be a part of worship. In fact, they, sh- they can and should point us to Christ. But if we're only after the experience, then we're missing the point. But if our knowledge and our relationship with God draws us and drives us to praise God through song and through art and through these other things, then that is wonderful and praiseworthy as well. But it needs to be ultimately grounded in the truth of God's word. And finally, I want to close with this that we set the example for future generations to follow. There's an interesting tie into this commandment and that, that, that as God explains his jealousy towards worship and, and worshiping him and him alone in his way, he says that, that he will uh, hold, hold those guilty. Excuse me. I just want to make sure I'm saying the right words here. He says, punishing the children of the sin of the parents for the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. It's not that a righteous person suffers the punishment of their parents, but it's that we often set the tone for those around us and for those for generations to come. And so we have the opportunities to set the tone of what true worship and the right way to worship looks like. And it's not necessarily about the how, but it's about the why and the who. Who we're worshiping and why is a matter of the heart. As we get that right, as we learn to live out the second commandment, we're going to set the tone for our children and for our grandchildren and for generations to follow. And Because our, our kids watch what we do, good and bad, don't they? And if we can set the tone in a right, good and positive way, as we can learn to worship God for who he is and for what he's done for us, as we make it a matter of the heart rather than what we do exterior, on the exterior, then they will follow suit as well. And so I encourage you, as we, as we strive to worship God in the right way, that you would set that example for those around you and your families as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we have this opportunity to worship you this morning. I pray that you would help us to worship you, Lord, not, and not get wrapped up in the details uh, of, 
of the experience, but worship you simply for who you are and what you've done for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we prepare our hearts for communion. Let's sing the first verse of number 210, Jesus Paid It All. seated.